Say you guys raised $789.06 in change for the Baby Bottle Campaign. So thank y'all a ton. I meant to share that with everybody this morning. So next time you see everybody else, tell them. And, uh, but we'll stick it in the back for everybody to see. But uh, grateful that we could do that for our first time uh, and planning on doing it again next year. And that goes to help uh, the Tri-Area uh, Resource there uh, in Galax. They're right downtown. They do a great work. And so praise the Lord for that and uh, for that ministry and that outreach. And so thank you guys for being uh, so generous in, in, in giving. Uh, take your Bible. Turn with me tonight to Psalm 20. Psalm 20 tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the, the need for us uh, to have just a, a prayerful dependence uh, in our life upon the Lord. And uh, what we're going to see throughout this psalm in these, these nine verses, we'll, we'll see several different uh, key things. But we're going to see ultimately how knowing who God is and knowing what God has done for us, it leads us to a confidence and to a dependence upon Him because we see that ultimately all of our hope, all of our deliverance, all of our victory is found in none other than Christ our Lord. And so tonight I want to read for us uh, this psalm, verses 1 through 9, and uh, we'll pray and we'll jump right into things. It says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation in the name of our God. We will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the King hear us when we call. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you this night. We want to just thank you, Lord, for the day of worship we've gotten to have here in your house and with your people. Uh, Lord, through, through the preaching of your word and as we've sung the truth of your word throughout the day, and Lord, to remind our hearts of who you are and what you've done for us. Help us tonight, God, to look to your word, to have our hearts and our minds open up to it. I pray that you would allow me to preach and teach your word boldly and accurately according uh, to your word as it is written. And Lord, that you would uh, show us tonight what we need, that you would ultimately show us Christ. And Lord, that you would uh, draw us near to you. And Lord, that we would receive your word tonight by faith. And uh, God, that we would know more of you tonight. And Lord, not just know more about you from this passage, but Lord, to trust you more and to leave tonight rejoicing, to leave tonight encouraged. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first of all, verses 1 through 4, we're going to see a, a sort of a prayer of concern. Now, you say, well, how can a prayer of concern be a prayer of confidence? Well, first of all, if you are trusting in the Lord, then you are confident to go to Him with every concern. And now, that's what ultimately what prayer is often thought of, is it's going to God in times of trouble, in times of need. But what we find is that uh, the reason why we go to the Lord in times of trouble, in times of need, as we see in verse number 1, in the day of trouble even, and there are many days of trouble, but the idea of the day of trouble here uh, for, for David for the people of Israel, is that there was clearly a, a terrible day coming, a day that was coming that was a day of trouble for them, a day of great difficulty, perhaps a great day of battle. Well, what we're going to find is that this prayer of concern is truly going to be a prayer of confidence at its root. It is going to the Lord, trusting Him, and we're going to see in these verses how uh, it is a dependence upon the Lord for not just deliverance, but for the strength to endure the time of trial, to endure the day of trouble. Now, we've got to understand this. The only way that you and I ever deal with or get through or conquer or, or get the victory through a day of trouble is the same way that we get through any other day. Whether it's a day of trouble or a day of ease and rest, it is through a dependence upon the Lord. It is by grace 
through faith. Now, verse 1, we see that the people pray for God's anointed specifically to be protected in the coming day of trouble, specifically that the name of God would defend the king. Notice he says, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble, the name of God of Jacob defend thee. Here what we're going to find in this psalm is that there's sort of a a back and forth of of praying, if you will. There is some uh, praying on behalf of the people where where they are praying for their king, David, where they are praying to the Lord on the behalf of of their national issues and on uh, behalf of their king and trusting God to uh, deliver. And he is often uh, thought of it to be the anointed uh, and we'll deal with here in just a little bit. But then as well, we're going to see David do do some praying later on. We, We see that this ultimately is not just some sort of song, as is often thought of with the Psalms, but this is a prayer to the Lord in a specific time of need, a specific day of trouble. Now, the Lord hear thee in the day of trouble, the name of God of Jacob defend thee. Uh, Kidner writes, you uh, is singular throughout, identified in verse 6 as the Lord's anointed, and this one man, the whole people, see themselves embodied and their national life sustained. He is the breath of our nostrils, the protective shadow, limitation 420, the lamp of Israel, 2 Samuel 21:17. In reality, such a role must prove too big for any but the Messiah whom it thus foreshadowed. Here's what we've got to understand. While the immediate context of this is where the people of Israel are praying for King David, while they are praying for his deliverance, where they're going to pray, as we see uh, in verse 6, uh, where they say, Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed, Here's the anointed, and it's not just the people of Israel, but specifically the king of Israel here in this time. Now with this, what we find is that there is a man who represents the people as a whole. Now, here's what we understand. If we think politically for a moment, right, uh, when we talk about the president, the reason why, no matter who is in office, we want them to do well. You know why? Because they represent the rest of us. Right? They're, the, they're the representative to the rest of the world about who we are, what we're like, and what we think, and what we want, and what we desire. However, what we find is it often doesn't quite correlate like it's supposed to. Ne- nevertheless, we find with David, what is it supposed to look like? He is representing God's people, not merely just another nation. He is representing the people of God, the, the chosen people of God, the chosen land that God has given to that people, and he is the one who is not merely just called to be a ruler over it, to be, but to be the defender of it, to be the representative, and, and uh, for that, that David's character, that, that who he is, it is to represent the people uh, for the Lord himself to the nations. Now, the people pray for God's uh, blessing and protection of the king, and, and for specifically, they say, the Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. Something is troubling them, they're discouraged, they're going through this difficulty, and they are coming to the Lord on behalf of the anointed one, we see in verse 6, to pray, and they say, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Now here's what is needing to be understood. Now this anointed one is going to be representative uh, of the people, whereas David represents uh, the people there. The Lord Jesus is our representative spiritually, but with this we find that all throughout the Bible there is a representative But specifically, what do they represent? Well, for David here, he not merely represents represents the the people of God, but specifically the the name of God himself. It is God's people. Therefore, how David goes is a reflection upon God's uh, covenant keeping and and God's uh, faithfulness to his people. And we find that ultimately the Lord is faithful to his people at all times, at all places. Uh, Now, here's what we want to look at. 
as we see that the people uh, pray for God's blessing and protection, we find this representative. I want to hold your place here and turn with me to Proverbs for just a moment to Proverbs 29. And Proverbs 29, the first, first couple of verses here. Proverbs 29, verses 1 through 4 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Here we find in a couple of these verses dealing with what it means to be in a representative and authority role, uh, especially in regards to representing the people of God. There in verse number 2 of Proverbs 29, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Now the people rejoiced at times in David's life, but as well we find other times that there was great rebellion. But this is one of those times that they are trusting in the Lord's hand, protection and provision uh, in the day of, of trouble, and specifically through the man that is representing them and the man who is there uh, by God and, and representing uh, God's people. And so what we find is that they are uh, praying in, in a time of need, in a time of trouble for the Lord to act. But specifically, they say the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. So what they are asking is uh, the Lord to his very name to defend the anointed one, to defend their king. Now with this, what is interesting to note that we need to note tonight is the idea of God's blessing and protection of the representative here. And what we're going to see is that as goes the king, goes the people. So it is awfully important that no matter who is the king in this case, they want him to do well, they want him to be protected, because as the king goes, goes the people. As the president goes, goes the people. As our rulers and nations go, go the rest of the people. Now, with this, he deals with the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Now here what we find is that God's name represents his character. It reveals his character. It, it reveals who he is. It reveals His will, His work to His people. God's name shows God's worth. It is all that God is. It is wrapped up in uh, His name. It represents all that He is. So it's every characteristic, every attribute of God is found in His very name. This is why the name of God is taken so seriously. This is why the Lord Himself says that we are not to take His name uh, in vain because His name is identified and correlates with His character. So to take His name in vain is to mar His character. It is to even reject or to deny His character. It is to deny who He is as the Lord God. You know, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and so many things that we know Him to be as revealed in this Scripture. But in this passage, what we're going to find is that God's name is going to be key and critical. We find it several times here. We find it in verse 1, where it says the name of God, uh, the, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Then in verse number 5, we will rejoice in thy salvation, and, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Then we see in verse number 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now what this is to do is to not, um, it's not that they have forgotten the name, and then they go, oh, uh, what was his name, right? It is this remembrance of a dependence, of a trust. It is one of faith, of going, this is the name of our God, and therefore because of God's character, not because of ours, because of God's faithfulness, not because of ours, because of God's strength, not because of ours, because of God's power, His authority, His care for His people, not because of ours, 
Therefore, we will trust. Therefore, we will do all these things that we'll get into here in just a moment. But there's three things here, verse 1, 5, and 7, that we see about the name of God. In verse number 1, we find that it is a defending name. God's name is a defense for His people. His very character. He Himself, as we have seen uh, David write just a couple of psalms ago, what we find in Psalm 18. I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. What do we find? We find that the Lord's name, His very character, His very person, His work in our life is our defense. Now, this is why we have to understand that sometimes when things, people come against us, when the world comes against us, we often want to do one thing very quickly, and that is to defend our name, right? A name means an awful lot. It used to be that for your name, it represented who you are. You could take a man by his name, by his word. And, and even now, when you say a name of somebody, normally it draws up in a, in a small community like this. You can say a name, right? And I'm not going to say a name tonight. But uh, you say a name in the community that is known, and what will happen? Immediately you have different responses, different reactions, because they think certain things about the character of that person. But when we hear the name of our God, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, see, we should be thinking about the character of who God has revealed Himself to be. And therefore, it draws our hearts nearer to Him. It draws our hearts to trust in His defense of His people. Then we also find that in verse 5, that it is a displayed name out to the world that is one that is our banner, that we do not tonight simply represent when we go out into the world of uh, Victory Way Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, that is on the, on the bottom end of our, represent, uh, of our representation and, and identity. Who do we identify with and represent above any and all uh, people? It is the Lord Himself. We represent who He is, and so His name is displayed unto the world and through His people. What do we find in verse 7? that It is a delivering name. Right? We will remember the name of the Lord our God. We're not trusting in chariots. We're not trusting horses. But we trust in His name. We trust in His character. Has there ever been a time when God has let you down? Has there ever been a time when God has not been faithful? Has there ever been a time when God has uh, forsaken utterly His people? Or let's get really specific tonight. Has there ever been a time where God has specifically forsaken you? Well, never and not once, nor ever could he. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Therefore, we can rejoice and trust in the Lord our God and depend upon him. What we find with the name of God is that this is to be our identity. We are to identify with who God is, what he has done for us. We find that victory is only found in his name. And so the people in this day of trouble are not simply walking around and going, you know what, we're Israel. We're untouchable, but rather what they're doing is they're going here at this point is they're saying, we are trusting in the name of God. Why? Because He is untouchable. There's none that can match God in name or character or weight or majesty or power or authority. Therefore, the people in this day of trouble do what all of us must do in any day, and especially in the day of trouble, and that is to look up by faith, look out by faith to the Lord our God and trust in His name. It is the name of God that each believer, and especially the national people of God, must cling to in this day of trouble and as this day of trouble approaches because there's only help, hope, and victory in the name of God. We sing songs about this sort of thing. We hear and we read in the, in the Scripture about the, the precious name. Oh, how sweet, right? Uh, we, we sing songs about the name of God and who He is because what comfort the name of God should bring to the believer? What, uh, 
What um, rest it brings to the restless and, and weary soul to know God and to know that He is for His people. Therefore, we cling to the name of the God of Jacob, that it defends us. In verses 2 and 4, we now see that the people begin to pray specifically for God to move to defend the king and the people alike. This prayer now focuses on God's power and presence to deliver His people. Verse number 2 through 4, it says, Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. And they're praying this for their king. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Sorensen writes, The sanctuary, of course, refers to the holy place, likely in the tabernacle where the earthly presence of God's Shekinah glory dwelt. The tabernacle was located at Gibeon, outside of Jerusalem, which is otherwise known as Zion. Uh, David, therefore, implored God to send help and strength strength from his holy habitation. Here's what we find. Ultimately, the people of God come. They begin to pray for, for, uh, for what specifically? Send help from the sanctuary. Now, if we understand this sanctuary, you and I, we still call this room a sanctuary. Each area in the church has its own name, right? Some call this room an auditorium, that sort of thing. I do like to call it a sanctuary, not because it's some sort of old-fashioned or tradition way, but because the sanctuary represents this idea that God's presence is very much there. Now, let's be honest tonight, and let's put on our thinking caps a little bit. If we all went on a field trip tonight, and we went over to the Sunday school room right next door, and that's where we had Bible study tonight, would the Lord be over there too? Well, absolutely. He's already there right now, right? Now, if we went on this side, would the Lord be there? He'd be there too. So what is so special about this? Well, the idea in the Old Testament is even more so of this sort of special place because this was the place where God dwelt. This was the only place of sacrifice and offering. This was the place where the mediator would go, the high priest would go once a year on the Day of Atonement on behalf of the people to represent the people. Uh, to be this mediator for them uh, through the sprinkling of the blood and all these things. So what we find is that for you and I to call this place a sanctuary tonight, what we're gathered in, is it is a simple reminder for us that we are gathered to be uh, set apart from the world, set apart unto God, and to enter into His presence. That this should be a place that should be holy and set apart for the use of God, for the worship of God, for the Word of God, for the people of God to gather together in the presence of one another, but specifically to gather together in the presence of our God, to seek His name, to seek His face, to seek His will, to seek His protection, to seek His strength and His help. Now, the sanctuary was in the innermost portion of this place. And so what we find is that for them, the idea is that they want to get to the very heart of who God is because His indwelling glory uh, was there. Uh, That's what they trusted in. Not so much in believing that there was something special about the instruments. Now they were set apart by God and for God, but what they find is that they're not trusting in the building of the tabernacle, which was just a temporary place in the first place, but they are trusting that God is with them. Send the help from the sanctuary. Well, is there anything that helps the believer in a day of trouble like the presence of God? Is there anything that helps a believer in the day of trouble than knowing that God is present? Perhaps that is one of the greatest of strengths that comes in a, in a time of trouble is to know that God is with us. Uh, we find this theme throughout the Bible. We find that the Lord cares. Uh, we see that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So the Lord's presence is 
our very help, is our very strength, and we can trust that His presence is what ultimately sends forth help. And then he says, and strengthen thee out of Zion. It is God's presence that is a strengthening presence. It is God's presence that sends forth strength to His people, that sends strength from His presence, and He provides such things. We find that the tabernacle and the temple both operated as a place where God's presence dwelt, where God's power was known and experienced, and where God's provision, and specifically that of the forgiveness of sins, was offered. Now, for you and I that are saved today, what, do we, uh, what are we told? We are told that uh, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. So now, the Lord Himself indwells every believer. And so what we find is that when you and I need help in the day of trouble, is not that we look inward to ourself for help, but that we look inward to the Lord for help, knowing that His presence will strengthen us, will help us, will defend us, and is sufficient for every need that we have. Now, there is deliverance in trusting in God's presence and in the place of praise and worship and sacrifice. That's that idea of the sanctuary. There is victory in such. There is help in such. Now, it is not the physical tabernacle or the instruments of worship that the people are trusting in, but rather the fact that God dwells among them. And so tonight, uh, there is something peaceful about gathering together in the church with God's people. But what is peaceful about it? Is it the nice pews? Is it the air condition? Is it the, the nice uh, parking lot? Is it the lights? Is it the sound? Is it the, the good-looking preacher? No, none of those things. What is it? It's that God is there. That's the comfort. The comfort is that the Lord is there. Each thing in this room is to operate much like the tabernacle and the temple did at the time. It's to point us to, not ourselves, but to point us to the Lord. And so this is why tonight, if we should uh, help ourselves to look around tonight and just be reminded that this place is to be a place where God's presence is known, where we can come and trust and know that God is here, desires to meet with His people, and desires to be their help, to be their defense, to strengthen us through His Word. Each piece that was in the tabernacle and temple was to point to His presence, His power, and to lead the people there to praise Him. It ultimately showed His provision and all that He provided for us. And what we find tonight is that the greatest of these things that you and I now no longer need the tabernacle or the temple physically in order to worship the Lord. We don't need the, the blood of bulls and goats and rams and sheep and oxen, all these different things. We have the blood of the Lamb of God, and therefore we are now uh, indwelt by the Lord Himself. But we can now come freely together to worship Him, to rejoice, to come into His sanctuary, if you will, and to experience the provision of His presence. There is nothing greater that He provides for us than Himself. The greatest gift that God has ever given to us is Himself. He is our very defense. He not merely defends us, but He is our defense. He goes on in verse 3. He says, Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Here they pray for God to accept the sacrifice, not merely for sin and forgiveness, but for the favor now, for God's favor in the day of trouble that they are facing, for God to accept sacrifice is to show that He will bless. We find this in the dedication of the tabernacle. We find it in the dedication of the temple on both days. What we find is that on those days that the tabernacle and the temple were completed and that they were dedicating it to the Lord, that they made great sacrifice and offering, a burnt offering on those days, and that the Lord accepted it. How do we know He accepted it? Because it describes him swooping down, if you will, as his consuming fire, as Hebrew tells us he is. That he is a consuming fire and he consumes it. Uh, why? 
not out of anger, you and I think a consuming fire, something sort of uh, anger, but rather what we find is his acceptance of their worship and of their praise. Could you imagine that the next Sunday morning that you're singing and you lift up your hands and the Lord enjoys the fact that you're worshiping him and a fire comes down, right? You and I would be awfully afraid by such, but what we find is that God was accepting of their sacrifice, accepting of the praise, and the acceptance of God becomes our position in Him. And this shows us that God desires to bless and to not merely dispense blessing to His people, but to bless them while He works on behalf and for His people. Uh, It has been uh, said here that we take this Selah here that is in this verse as an opportunity to consider Jesus and to see that this prayer was appropriate for him as he faced the cross. The prayer was worthy to be prayed that God would indeed remember and accept the offering Jesus made on the cross, which could rightly be called a burnt sacrifice as it, it was burned with the fire of God's righteous judgment. And Jesus held nothing back in this sacrifice. Ultimately, what we find is all throughout the Psalms thus far, all throughout all the scripture is to lead us to Christ, to see that he ultimately is our full, final, and complete sacrifice and the Lord accepted the sacrifice completely. Why do we know this? Because we see that Jesus is able to cry out, it is finished, right? The work is done. Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. And then on that third and glorious day to rise from the dead, showing that the sacrifice, the work had been done and met, and that God, His wrath has been satisfied. That is the idea of propitiation, to satisfy the wrath of God. So what we find is that God uh, has accepted the sacrifice of His Son so that now we are accepted in Christ. We are accepted in the Beloved. Now, with this, this pause is to remind us and for us to remember who God is, what He has done. And then in verse number 4, he said, they continue the prayer and they say, Grant thee according to thine own heart to fulfill thy counsel. Now there is prayer here that is being made that God will allow the heart of the King to not only be one of integrity, but as well of discernment and wisdom to plan for the coming day. Now here, the king in this day of trouble would be making plans. He would be um, thinking about the day ahead, perhaps the battle, perhaps but planning out what needs to be um, uh, gathered up, all these different things, tactics and whatnot. And here's the idea. Ultimately, why would the king do such? Because the king is looking for victory. Why would anyone go into battle, make a plan in order to try to just lose? Well, no one does that. You, you make a, a plan in order to win, a game plan to win. Now, what we find is that as they pray, say, grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. They're asking for the Lord to touch the heart of the king, to grant him the desire of his heart, to grant him the wisdom for the counsel, to know what to do in this day. And ultimately, they already have the answer about what they are to do, and that is to trust in the name of God. And that's what they're going to get into later on in this passage as we continue to work our way through here. Now, David's heart, we are told, uh, is sort of beats for the heart of God, if you will. He is a man after God's own heart. And what is seen is that our will must line up for, uh, with God's will. And so what we must see and understand is that our prayer life of dependence, it is not so much of us always asking God to simply act on our behalf, but for the Lord in the middle of that uh, to change our will and to submit our will to be His will. Lord, not my will, but Your will. Well, what is the will of God? Is the will of God for His people to be uh, forsaken and cast down and destroyed? Well, no. Uh, the, in fact, quite the opposite. 
that the Lord promises not just an everlasting and an eternal victory, but specifically for His people here, He promises deliverance. He promises to work on their behalf. And so we find that our prayers in these four verses should be seeking that uh, the very purpose of God, that our life is to be seeking to do the purpose of God. Now the purpose of God here is what He's going to do is to deliver His people and it causes them to rejoice and they begin this prayer of concern where they give these things over to the Lord, but they do so confidently and trusting by faith. And so now in verses 5-9, through we find that this prayer of concern for these different things that they are asking the Lord to do now leads to uh, this uh, prayer of confidence and trust. First of all, we see several things that they're going to do. There's going to be several we will statements, and that's how we'll work our way through the rest of this passage. First of all, he says, We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. We will rejoice. Notice it's a decision. You must make the decision to rejoice. Each moment of our life, we are constantly making decisions whether we realize it or not. Now, right now, there are decisions being made by your body that you have no control of. Your body is choosing to breathe and continue to breathe. You're not consciously having to go, okay, in, out, in, out. Okay, beat the heart. Okay, there we go. All right, your body is naturally doing these things, but yet we are naturally deciding things right now of whether to listen, whether to think of other things, uh, whether to write notes, whether to not write notes, whether to look at references or not look at references. We think about all the decisions that we make in life, they are constant. There's not a moment goes by that we're not thinking and making decisions. And what we find is that it is a choice to either rejoice or not. We must choose to rejoice. Why? Because the name of God has given us every reason to rejoice. Because God remains God, and He's always God, always going to be God. He's never uh, going to falter in His characteristics. He's never going to falter in His work for His people, what we find is that we have every single reason to rejoice. Specifically, in this verse, he says, we will rejoice in thy salvation. Now, when we see the word salvation, the first thing that you and I normally think of is our spiritual salvation, that we are saved from our sins. We have to understand that the word here is also a little bit broader than just the understanding of our spiritual salvation. But the word salvation is the idea of to literally be saved or rescued from something. Uh, even in this day of trouble, even that would be a salvation of the people. And so they are already rejoicing that God shall save them. And that's confidence, isn't it? I, I don't believe that, that is prideful praying or even necessarily self-centered praying. I believe that it's confident praying, trusting that God will uphold His Word and to defend the righteous, to protect His people, and specifically to protect His anointed that we find with King David. Now, prayer ultimately leads to confident praying of faith, believing that God will save. That This praise, this rejoicing, it causes them now to rejoice in His name. God's character gives us confidence. God's character gives us confidence to trust Him, to know Him, and ultimately to rejoice. Notice they do not rejoice in their chariots or their horses. They don't rejoice in how many foot soldiers they've got. They don't rejoice even in their king. They rejoice in the salvation of God. They trust that it is only and ultimately God's hand that will deliver them. They say, not only will we rejoice in thy salvation, but it says, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Now here, 
in tonight. We look around and we see different banners in here tonight. We see what we have as our four pillars of the church, the, the worship, discipleship, fellowship, outreach. These banners serve to remind us of who we are and why we exist to know Christ and to make Him known. When you think about a banner, we think about something that is going to be displayed out to the world. Now, in Bible times and in these days, what they would often do is when there was a victory or a defeat is that they would have uh, banners. Now, I'm not a huge baseball fan um, myself, and it's not because I think it's a terrible sport. I think I just have a hard time watching it on TV, all right? I like watching it in person. There's nothing like going to a ball game in person and throwing peanuts at the umpire, right? Don't pretend like y'all don't do that. I'm just kidding. I haven't done that in quite some time, all right? Now, now here's what we do. When we watch this game, now you think about baseball, and I think about these banners. Uh, there's the Chicago Cubs. What they often do is if they're winning, and they do win, they fly the dub. They fly the W. They put the big flag up. They've won. Now, I don't know how often it happens for them. I don't keep up with them a whole lot. I think there's a few Cubs fans in the area, a few friends. But anyways, it's the banner of victory is the idea. It is showing forth that God has delivered that the victory, the battle, has been won. Now notice this. We don't find that between verses 4 and 5 that the battle took place yet, do we? Well, what do we find? A confidence and a dependence and a trust in the Lord. So therefore, they go ahead and they throw the banner up because they're trusting that God will deliver. The idea is that they will set up banners of victory based upon the name of the Lord who will fulfill all thy petitions to deliver God's people through His anointed king here like us new testament believers they trust that they are more than conquerors you and i are told that we are to give thanks that be thanks be to god who giveth us the victory right through our lord jesus christ we find that we are victors not in the future once we reach heaven we are then certainly but we're victors right now our position is one of victory. Why? Because the Lord's position is one of victory, and we are in union and in position with Him. We abide in Him. We have been bought by Him. We have been adopted by Him. We belong to Him. Therefore, the Lord has purchased us and given and granted to us by His grace a victory over sin, death, hell, the grave, even the power over sin now, and one day ultimately and finally forevermore, when we're delivered from this world, when we're delivered from our flesh, that we will have an ultimate and final victory. Therefore, you and I as believers, as Christians tonight, we ought to go ahead and raise up the banners. We ought to go ahead and raise up the banners, not based upon if we think we're going to win, but based on the fact that the Lord has already said that we've won in Him. The banners are being lifted up based upon the name and character of God. Now, God has not changed. Therefore, we can trust that God still delivers His people and will deliver His people. We believe that Christ is coming back to deliver us. Therefore, we raise the banners in our homes, in our hearts, in our churches of the fact that we are victorious in Christ. Now, think about this. Even in a place right now, you drove by the sign. You came in knowing that this church calls themselves Victory Way Baptist Church. Therefore, if there ought to be a place that holds up a banner of being victorious, it would think it should be victory way. And so the idea for us tonight is that our hearts should rejoice at God's hand of deliverance and might to strengthen His people. Not only will they, they say we will rejoice and we will set up our banners, but then they continue and say, Now know I 
that the Lord saveth His anointed. He will hear Him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. The right hand of God, we often think of God's hands in a way for us to try to understand all that God does. The Bible uses this for us to try to wrap our brains around the infinite. And we see that God's hands are described as holding out and measuring the waters and the span of the stars and all these different things. But yet we find the right hand of God, the right hand was one of righteousness and justice and authority and power and position. We find that the right hand of God moves and strengthens us. He says with the saving strength of His right hand. And it's not just that the Lord thinks about helping us, but that He takes His righteous right hand, He scoops us up, He holds us fast, He defends us, and with one little flick of His finger, He throws away the enemy. And He doesn't even have to do all that, but He goes out of His way by His love and His mercy for His people. We go on and He says in verse number 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. The idea of this is to trust in your military might. He says, we're not going to do that. He says, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Sometimes I think that you and I often count up our chariots and our horses spiritually. We think of all the things that we've got going on for spiritually. Well, I read my Bible today. There's one chariot. I prayed today. There's a horse. All right. There's this. I went to church. I went to Sunday school, worship service, and Sunday night. Check mark a few off there. I did devotion today. Um, I left a good tip at the restaurant today. Right, A million different things, right? What we find is ultimately you and I can't count up our chariots and our horses to trust in for anything. You and I must trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why? You could have all the chariots and all the horses and still lose a battle. Matter of fact, Israel remembers a day and an age in their time when this happened. Y'all remember the time of the Exodus? They show up, they leave in Egypt, and then there's all of a sudden, and it's not really all of a sudden, is it? There's this great Red Sea. They go, well, I guess we'll just go back. We tried, right? That's the attitude of some of them. But what we find is that God parts the waters. They walk across on dry land. Now, they don't have an army yet. They've got some riches that they've gained from Egypt on the way out. But they're not fit for the battle. They're not fit to fight yet. What does the Lord do? He lets them get to the other side. And then as, they're, uh, as the, the Egyptians, their army, their chariots and their horses come riding in on that same dry path into the Red Sea. And what does God do? He swallows up every one of them. Now, what was Pharaoh trusting in? Chariots and horses. He had the chariots and the horses. As a matter of fact, he caught up to Israel and would have overtaken them. But God said no. Why? Because the Lord is the one that we trust in. It is God's name that delivers His people, not chariots and horses. As the people remember the name of the Lord our God, they are able to be confident in prayer and praise as the day of trouble draws near. This allows them to say with confidence that God will save His anointed and hear the prayers while acting swiftly on behalf of the people in verse 6. They as well see that as they remember God and His name and His character and they trust Him all the more, they learn to trust in His name. They don't trust in the number of chariots or horses or their military might because what we find is that we are weak and He is strong. God's strength is not merely greater than our strength, but His strength becomes our strength. 
We are told spiritually uh, in Ephesians that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So that means that the strongest Christian that you know is the weakest person in the flesh, but they've learned to trust in the strength of God. What we find is that there is none of us that are truly strong and mighty when it comes to spiritual things. What we find is that God Himself is the one who gives strength. It is God who gives power. It is God who gives might. It is the Lord who is our strength. It is the Lord's name that strengthens us, that defends us, that delivers us, that provides for us. It's ultimately His name that we trust in, not in the works of our hands. Lastly, we find as we bring this to a close, this sort of idea here, and it's not specifically given in a we will statement, but as you look at verses 8 and 9, we find this idea that we should have tonight for us as we close, and that's we will be confident in the Lord. Now, notice this. We're not to be prideful. You and I can be proud about an awful lot of things that we should not be. Now, you say, well, shouldn't we be proud to be a Christian or proud to be a this or proud to be a that? I think we have to understand that we should be confident, not in that we are something, but confident in the one that we're trusting in. We must be confident in the Lord. Why? Because when we lose confidence with the Lord, what is the same thing to be said? It's that we're losing faith. Faith is a confidence, a trust, a dependence, a casting one's weight, a casting one's life upon the Lord. So the idea here in verse 8 and 9, and in verse 7 as well with this, remembering the name of the Lord, we're not trusting in chariots and summoned horses, we're trusting in the name of the Lord. That they are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. This is confidence here. Those who trust in chariots and horses, their own strength are brought down and fallen. You ever found that out in your own Christian walk? You begin to trust in your own strength and it doesn't take too long to find out that you have no strength and that your chariots and horses, as mighty as you think they are, aren't worth a hill of beans. We, we begin to crumble and our faith falters. What does he say though? But we are risen and stand upright. The idea is that the enemy trusts in chariots and horses and he says, we may as well already be broken down and destroyed. He says, but we're trusting in the name of our God, so therefore, therefore we are risen. We stand upright. We're good to go. Think much about in this passage, reflecting and thinking back on David's first victory that we find there over Goliath. That he trusted in the Lord to defend him. Not merely to defend him, but to defeat the enemy who blasphemed his name. He trusted that God would not merely give him strength, but that God would show forth his name, his character, his might. He trusts him. He knows that Goliath is a defeated foe already. We see in the Psalms the outcome of those who are faithless. And we find that those who trust the Lord, we are risen and we stand upright. He goes on and he says in verse 9, in his last portion of this prayer, Save, Lord, that the King hear us when we call. Here the idea is not King in the lowercase sense that we have here in the English, but in the Hebrew, the idea is that it would be capitalized in reference to the mighty King, a King mightier than David. Well, who is a King mightier than David? Well, in the people of Israel, the only one that would be is the Lord Himself. This is the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. Now, here's what we find is that Jesus is the only one that could operate in all three capacities at one time. 
that David could be king. And he operated as a prophet for a moment and prophesying about the Lord. But he was not a priest. We found that they were priests, but sometimes they weren't prophets and they were not kings. As a matter of fact, they had their priestly duty that they could not be kings. So we find that there was none that could fulfill such an office except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, tonight, we must trust in our King, who is prophet, priest, and king. Whoever knows us and cares for us and is there to defend his people. And notice the last cry of the people. It's not a complex prayer. It's not complicated by any means. It's simple. Save Lord. One of the greatest, most powerful prayers that you and I can ever pray is perhaps the most simple and short that there is. Save Lord. Well, that's our salvation, isn't it? Not just spiritually a forgiveness of sins. That's all we have to cling to. Lord, save me. That's the sinner's prayer. Nothing more, nothing less. Lord, save me. Right now, here's what we find is that the rest of our life is one continued prayer. Lord, save me. Save, Lord. But notice this. This is a prayer of faith and confidence. Trusting that not only this sort of desperate, save, Lord, from the day of trouble, but trusting that the Lord will save from trouble And notice already in this that we've dealt with, they lift up their banners, they lift up their voices, already trusting and believing as if God has already delivered them. So tonight, the way in which you and I should be praying, the way you and I should be praising the Lord and gathering together as the people of God in the dark and difficult days that we live should be one, as as we gather together, it should be as if God has already delivered us. Why? Because He already has. We're living in a time where spiritually it's already and not yet. We're already seated in heavenly places. We're already with the Lord. We're already, uh, uh, in His view, at the end and at the, the victory. However, we haven't yet made it. But our mindset should be as if God will deliver us any moment through every moment. Why? Because God does. And God has promised us that He will take us from this world, take off this wicked flesh that we've got, and put on incorruption. That is our final victory over death, over the flesh that has held us back for so long. So tonight, as we bring this to a close, while you and I might not be facing a day of battle that they were perhaps about to face, You and I face some days of trouble. But yet, if we think about it, that even in the middle of the day of trouble, we can go ahead and praise God for the deliverance that He will bring. Dear believer, tonight you can trust that God will deliver you. You see, does that mean that every ache and pain I've got right now, every problem I've got, every bill I've got is going to be taken care of? Not quite. But also at the same time, yes. Just might not happen here. So you can trust that while God might not swoop down and uh, take away all your debt that the debt collectors are calling over, you can trust and you can claim all you want. Jesus paid it all, right? And yes, He did. Nevertheless, what we find is that God already has delivered us. If you were saved tonight, you have been delivered from the greatest enemy you've got. And one day you will be fully and finally delivered. Therefore, go ahead and praise Him now. Go ahead and pray as if you are delivered now because you are. 
It is who we are in Christ. It is the riches that we now possess in Christ. Therefore, God's people ought to rejoice. So tonight, may we be confident, not in ourselves, but in the Lord our God, who has delivered us from our past, is delivering us now in the present, and will fully and finally deliver us in the future. May we depend and trust on this God who saves. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your deliverance. We thank You for Your promise of Your Word. We thank You that we can trust You, Lord, with every moment and everything in our life, Lord, with every day of trouble that we face. And Lord, truly, every day in this life brings about its own troubles. But God, we can trust that we are victors and more than conquerors in Christ. Lord, we can trust that uh, we are already seated in heavenly places. We can trust that we are living this life of already and not yet. But Lord, we long for that day and help us to long for that day, O God, that we see You face to face to be fully delivered from this world of sin, from this flesh of bondage. God, I pray that You would strengthen us, encourage us, Lord, when we leave here tonight rejoicing in Your help and in Your defense for Your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.